Welcome to Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Deputy Editor Stephanie Butnick. Hi. Hi. And Senior Writer Liel Leibowitz. Shalom, shalom. Shalom. Today we are live from a conference for young millennials, or people who want to get to know young millennials, here on beautiful, affordable East 59th Street with UJA Federation New York. Thank you. Um... We'll be talking with Adam Cantor, who plays Mottel the Taylor in the new Broadway version of Fiddler on the Roof, and with our guest Gentile, Mandy Statmiller, who hosts the podcast News Whore and has not ever been in Fiddler on the Roof. Or has she? Mandy, you ever been in Fiddler on the Roof? No. There's time yet. A lot of good female parts in that. Um, (laughs) Before we begin, we want to state that the views expressed here today, whether they be about Drake or Hitler's alleged micropenis or politics or political candidates are not endorsed by the UJA Federation of New York or the editors of Tablet Magazine or possibly even by us. They're just things that we say. And they are solely the views, they are solely the views of the hosts of the show, if they're the views of anyone at all. Um, when they were introducing us b- before we started talking, we heard that this was a conference to talk about engaging with post-college age, pre-family Jewish adults. I thought, Stephanie, it's, this is actually for you. Yeah, I'm here. I'm, ask me anything. But I, I'm not pre-family. I have a cat. Um, we have a very beautiful, troubled relationship. Actually, yep. this morning he would not take his Prozac, which was like kind, really a nightmare for me. He's a problem cat, but I love him deeply. His name is Cat Stevens. I always, <laughs> I always think you're cute. kidding about your cat, and no. then it's actually like you actually have a cat who hates you. Yeah, but or he loves just, me at the same time. Or is this very is a, a shorter way to say it would just be to say she has a cat. It's, it's a very complicated. Yeah, relationship. I went there. You yeah. went there. We're dog people. So. Um, I just wanted to say, we have a problem in my household, which is my daughter, Clara. This is number three, right? The five-year-old. She comes home the other day. She says, Mommy, I want golf lessons. Because what happened was some golf teacher, this is what they do in New Haven. They enrich gym class at their wonderful public school, which, which I love. They enrich gym class by having local athletic professionals in, from profit-making ventures like Taekwondo and golf, I guess, come and do special units, right? I don't know if this is, happens elsewhere. But the Taekwondo guy comes every year and does this sort of six-class unit with them. And then afterwards, he hands out the flyers. And then all the kids want to sign up for Taekwondo. And that's how he recruits people, right? There was a golf guy in, gym, in kindergarten gym class. And Clara comes home. She says, Mommy, I want to take golf. I come home. Congratulations. My, your yeah. daughter's now a Republican. Yeah, That's basically. Wonderful news. My, my daughter's a Republican Gentile, basically. And yeah. she's she come, like, Daddy, can we go mock the poor on a Sunday? Yeah. <laughs> can we go skeet shooting? What you say? <laughs> like, You're like, we don't do that. Yeah, call Uncle Liel. He would be very happy to take care of all your uh, needs. Here's the thing about Clara is she's this child. She's, she's a bit of an introvert. Um, she's very serious. She's very, very bookish. When she puts her mind, she doesn't want to do much. Basically, she wants to sit in a corner and read. But when she wants to do something other than that, she does it really seriously. So she asked. She begged to take violin lessons, and she is the most assiduous practicer ever. I believe that if we let her take golf lessons, we will have, if not Tiger Woods, we'll at least have a D1 scholarship in, 18, in 13 years. But I just can't handle the idea of my daughter as a golfer. I mean, I felt, I've spent my whole adult life not golfing. She'd be the, the one Oppenheimer in four generations to make money. I mean, it would be It's horrible. true. <laughs> a little news of the Jews. Uganda apparently got its first Jewish parliamentarian this past week, Rabbi Gershom Shizomu Wambedi. Yes. Next, next thing, he'll be turning into another Jewish state, so they should really be careful. Do we know if he's – how do I put this delicately? Is he our kind of Jew, or is he – that's not what I mean. 
Jews of all races and nationalities can be archived. What I mean is, is he normative Judaism or is he a sort of lost tribes of Israel, Times Square, pamphlet handing out, sect that is we not – rec- Do we have an answer? Do you have an audience? answer for it? He's a conservative rabbi. He's a conservative rabbi. All right. There we have it. He went to Ziegler and L- God bless you, UJA Federation of New York, <laughs> on beautiful, affordable East 59th Street for answering that question for us. Well, then, like, double mazel tovs to Rabbi Gershom in Uganda. May you bring light to... You're so uh, normative. I'm so normative. I'm so, yeah, I'm so trite. Uh, mein Kampf, recently reissued in German, as you know, is number two on the bestseller list there, right ahead of... Do you know? Do you know? Um, it's right ahead of a book by the Dalai Lama. So it's, they're getting their wisdom there from Hitler and the Dalai Lama. At least it's not like a Jonathan Franzen book. It's, it is not. Um, and then, of course, this week there was the Oscars, which I didn't watch because I don't watch award shows. And that's, are you gasping? Who, like, takes a stance on award it's shows? It's not a stance. It's not a stance. It's that I find them incredibly boring. Like, I've always yeah, seen. Yeah, who does take a stance on award shows? I'm not taking a stance. I, I know that's the much, one thing like, that morally <laughs> reprehensible to me, award shows. I just can't. Did, did that's you watch my them? Issue. Yes, I you watched. Did you watch them? Yeah. And you find them enjoyable? I just, I like had it on the background. We obviously have to talk about the Chris Rock joke. He comes out and says, the three accountants from PricewaterhouseCoopers who are keeping our secrets are uh, Mingju, Bailing, and David Moskowitz. And then he parades out three young Asian actors. Offensive? Not offensive? Offensive to whom? Kind of a, just a bad joke in a night that was so aware of bigger issues in our culture, like, it sort of seemed a little tone deaf and sort of like a cheap shot. Also, like, bringing kids out and being like, get it, they're Asian. Like, that just seems really awful. Like, they don't know what they're signing up for. It's not like they're part of the joke. And a cheap shot at whom? Like, I didn't even really, is the joke that accountants are Asian? And apparently Jewish. And apparently are Asians with Jewish names? I actually just didn't get the joke when I, I heard about it two days later. I just think it's, it's a, it was a bad joke, and now that's, like, what we're talking about. Not, like... I don't know. Then he ended with Fight the Power. That's what we're talking about as opposed to the number of Asian American actors who would want an Oscar, which I would bet is 0.0006 or something like that. Well, the other, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, that's cool. It's cool. Did you like the Oscars this year, Leo? I love the Oscars. My favorite part was when one of the guys who wrote the big short, who's married to an Israeli actress, came out and said in Hebrew, I love you, which is like the least... The, it's like the last thing you would ever hear anyone who speaks Hebrew as a native speaker say to anyone. It's like if you wanted to use a, a Hebrew representative phrase on the Oscar stage, it should have been like, you know, bring me, you know, two pitas with hummus or go away. It's my turn or anything like that. Like, I love you. No one ever says that. What do they say? I mean, let's say you're getting all, you know, kissy kissy. They say, and... eh. <laughs> you know? So romantic. Do you, yeah. Do you tell Lisa that you love her? Is that yes, a, in like, English. In English. In, in New York, where we live as Americans. <laughs> not, you know. It's just the, the whole thing. Also, anyhow, the whole um, speaking of not a good idea, El Al is being sued for discrimination after they asked a woman, a like 125-year-old Holocaust survivor, uh, to switch seats to accommodate an Orthodox man who didn't want to be seated next to women. The woman, Renee Rabinowitz, escaped Nazi-occupied Belgium as a kid, lived in the United States for many years, made Aliyah about 15 years ago. She walks with a cane. She did not beat the man with it. No. Though, but she could have. Though she could have. Also, uh, not so long ago, a Haredi man on a flight home from Poland apparently rioted in protest or, you know, 
yanked on his beard violently when he when they showed an in-flight movie that he found insufficiently modest. What was the movie? I got to tell you, I totally I'm, I I stand with that man. <laughs> you know how many times I wanted to riot over things in an airplane? If only I had it. Sort of like you call this food. But what is what should another I'll... Kevin Costner movie? No, <laughs> you know, no, no. Why have rights? I, yeah. I'm now angry if I get on a flight and there's not Wi-Fi. And there's not $12 Wi-Fi. Yeah, but don't you, when you get on an airplane, it doesn't matter how long the flight, you sort of like suspend all expectation of like human decency. You're like, I'm not going to get what I want. I'm going to be uncomfortable. My seat might not recline. I like might write an angry letter, but probably nothing more. Not on LL, man. They've I mean, got a lot now, of demands. It's funny because you would think, according to that logic, that being a Holocaust survivor actually would prepare you really well for international flight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like... For the next 12 hours, I'm just going to close my eyes. But I know what to do in these she situations. She was in business just... class. This is the craziest thing. She had an aisle oh, scene really? in business class. They moved her, and she accepted the move. And there was right? a conversation in Hebrew, and the guy said he didn't want to sit next to her, and they, they were like, we have a seat for you in first class. And there were, like, several other women in first class. And it just seems like... Well, yes, it's nice to go for like it's nice to get a first class seat, but that is just crazy. So, what is Ella? I mean, this is not the first time that that we've had uh, gender relations problems on LL flights. What are they going to do about this? So the difference They've got, they need a policy. The difference with this specific incident and why it's going to be the case that it gets. I think tried or whatever. Yeah, it's been taken on by by an Israeli. It, yeah, it's because, advocacy law. Firm. It's because the flight attendant can be like. It was involved, basically. So they're trying to allege that, like, the flight attendants on LL know that they're supposed to move women or men who don't want to sit next to women. So, like, the idea that it's, a, like, an airline policy is just ridiculous. They should have full, like, they have those barf bags in the seat in front of you. They should have, like, <laughs> full body condoms. If you don't want to touch a woman, you just remove, you sort of wrap around yourself, and then you're spiritually safe. Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. All right, we have a deal for you. If your community or JCC or synagogue wants to bring us there, guess what? It can happen. The proof is it's happening right now. We're here at the UJA Federation of New York on beautiful East 59th Street. Uh, you could bring us here. You could bring us here. Uh, we can make you a deal if you buy 100 subscriptions to our print magazine. That'll bring us. There are other ways that you can bring us there. Uh, send an email saying that you're interested in bringing Unorthodox to your community to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Um, if you would like to subscribe to our new print magazine, issue two is almost out. One way to do it is to text subscribe to 66866, or you can just go to tabletmag.com. It's very easy to find how to subscribe there. Um, we have a guest gentile this week. We should, we, should we bring her on up? Yes. Mandy Statmiller, guest Gentile of the week. Come on Yay! up. <laughs> Mandy is a podcaster. She hosts the podcast News Whore, which I've listened to about 30 episodes of. And it's oh, really, really, really oh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's a writer and comedian. For a while, she was a columnist for the New York Post. She's also written for Page Six. And that's where she gave your account of Andy Dick biting and groping you at the Comedy Central roast for William Shatner. That really right. happened? Yeah. <laughs> um, when you were... When, when you're writing, and you've written a couple things that have been branded as, as sex columns, right? Or dating columns? Yeah, or, I'm yeah. actually writing a new column for uh, New York Magazine called Unwifeable. <laughs> and what's the... Which is ironic because you're married now. Yeah, I just got married. That's the whole kind of bit. Yeah, round of um, applause for that. What's yeah. wrong with you? Yeah, I got... Um, my, my husband uh, proposed to me uh, on the last day of my 30s, so... So what's the idea? Just under the wire. Just under the wire. <laughs> yeah. What's the idea behind a column? So if it, 
called unwifable. The the idea is that uh, you know, if you look at me on paper or by internet search history, I'm you know one of the more unwifable women in. New York, uh, I was on the cover of the New York Post with a gigolo, with a guy who turned out to be um, a rapist that I had dated. Um, the the gigolo one for a while, you know, prostitute, well, was, is, was an autocomplete for Mandy Statmiller, which that was great. Is um, gigolo the correct term, or is it prostitute, which I think you've coined, yeah, which was I that really your like. Term? I, didn't, I didn't coin that. I, I went undercover because he was such a disaster in the press comparing himself to Rosa Parks and Jesus that they were like, whoa, we can't let this dude do any more press. So he was the first man to work in the counties in Nevada where it's legal to do sex work. Right, that- yeah. So I paid $500 to take a naked shower with him. And just, to, I, I always tell this story just to give you an idea of, you know, just how much skepticism you need to view how you're going to be handled by the press. I worked for the New York Post, and the headline, what they call the wood on the New York Post, was, um, you know, would you pay $500 to, to have sex with, it, with this man? Our reporter did, <laughs> and, and I didn't, and my friend, who's an editor, just happened to be walking past oh, it and was so like, great. Mandy didn't fuck that guy. And they were like, oh, okay, well, I guess we'll change it, you know. So that that's kind of what it's like to be, you know, when sometimes when people have these big, you know, outrages over, I can't believe you didn't use an M dash, you know, you're like, dude, just fucking it's relax. Okay. The field of writing about love, dating, sex, it's gotten pretty crowded. Like a lot of publications have tried to do it, mm-hmm. and often not with your success. Is there something? Is there a kind of cheap but wrong way that a lot of places try to go with that that you don't? I mean, is there? Well, I mean, I think I'm pretty much as cheap as it gets, but I'm like, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm friends with Courtney Love, and she a lot of times describes her appeal as being highbrow and lowbrow combined, and that's like kind of crack, you know. That's why people like right. the New York Post, you know, and because it's not just like dummy dum dums, you know. That's like USA Today. Um, it, it, there'll be something in there, and you're like, wow, I didn't. That was an investigative piece that change policy, you know, next to, like, toddler taught slave mom rape fiend throw, you know? Automatic automatic New York Post headline generator. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I think I'm, I used to be really good at math, and uh, this is, like, bragging, but I'm, I'm proud of it. I got, like, a five on the calculus AP when I was 15. So, like, if I would have, you know, gone on that... Uh, venture, who knows, I could be making a lot more money. But um, I think that I have a, a brain that is a kind of mathematical kind of brain. It's why I like comedy. You know, comedy is very mathematical. You know, rules of rules of three, Mr. X, and breaking it down. So I think I have um, a good brain for uh, uh, applying rules, giving rules to kind of mushy sociological stuff. You shouldn't be able to give rules to... I, th- I think the biggest problem with uh, when writing doesn't work is just if people fail to realize that no one gives a shit about them. You know what I mean? And like I, whenever I'm writing, I'm just like, if I'm at all bored, I know everyone will be. You know what I mean? Um, and a lot of times when I get 
submissions people will just be like and then julie said and then carl said and i was like oh my god <laughs> and they're just like you don't i i should write a book my life is crazy and it's just like, well, you should learn how to tell a story. You so know? in addition to writing these essays, you actually edited them for a while at ExoJN. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I've done tons of, you know, you, you ghostwriting and, and things like that, you know. Yeah. One of the things that really makes, uh, I think, your writing stand apart and, and why I'm such a big fan, it's, it's not just, uh, you know, as you said, sick and hilarious. It's actually extremely candid in, in this in this emotionally meaningful way. Do you find now that you're in a relationship, especially a relationship with another comedian, which I uh -huh. know is sometimes very, you know, uh, explosive, do you find that you you stop for a while before you, you know, share things? Do you find that the dynamic has well, changed? I think is what that... people don't understand is that, you know, every single time I've written about someone, even anonymously, outside of Andy Dick, you know, I always show people everything that uh, I publish, um, and it's not a thing of like uh, quote approval or anything, but you know, like I don't, a story is just a story. If it's gonna ruin a relationship or ruin someone's career, it's just not worth it to me. You know, I'm just like, I, I try to be long game instead of short game. So, so he sees everything, you know, and he'll be like, I didn't fucking say that, you know, or he'll like make it more outlandish. I did a tweet about The Bachelor last night that uh, he changed and like it made him even more um, sound awful, but it also made it funnier, you know? Do you want to share with us? Oh, I'm trying to remember. It, it was like, uh, damn, JoJo is so much uglier now that she's uh, showed her vulnerability. It was like just the most like <laughs> fucked it's up. It's funny because it's but true. But he said he loved her back. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we asked if you had any questions for us. Since yes. here you have a panel of you yeah, know, certified rabbinically certified Jewish experts, and um, you had you had said that you had one about Madonna um, and, and Kabbalah. What what is it we can tell you about? Yeah, that? Yes. so I'm very I consider myself kind of like a selective pantheist uh, yuppie, you know, <laughs> and uh, so it's like I've got Buddha and I've got Ganesh. I try to cover my bases. You have an elf on and, the shelf. Yeah, exactly, and uh, the only you know, place where I've really felt just uncomfortable and like, oh, this is about like, you know, ABC always be closing is when my friend took me to uh, the, I guess it's pronounced Kabbalah? The, the, the Kabbalah. Kabbalah. Kabbalah Center, yeah. Yeah, yeah, where everything The one was... in L.A.? You went to the one in L.A.? No, or in the New one York? in New York. The one in yeah, New York, okay. Yeah, um, and I just, uh, you know, to me it, not as bad as Scientology, uh, you know, but I just, I wondered what your thoughts were on that because I understand there's obviously the business of it um, and there's the Madonna, Britney Spears form of it and then there's, you know, it's based on mysticism and something else entirely. It's like using the the, the name. Um, but yeah, I wondered your, your thoughts on that. I mean, look, spiritually, I follow Britney, so I have no problem. <laughs> Whatever. I'm more of like an ex-Tina. I was just an ex-Tina. Um, so it's it was a you know it's a kind of like small minority medieval rooted tradition that didn't have much traction outside of the Hasidic world until the it was the Berg brothers right it was it was Michael and Philip Berg who basically made it a um, 
uh, a business and they started selling the red strings for $18 and the little water for $36 and the and it's yeah it's kind of a business i mean in the in the original tradition it's supposed to be something only high level learned people even have access to mm-hmm. so the idea that you would slap strings on pop stars and say you're, you now have a, a spiritual practice was seen as really, really. But they, you know, they claim they're populist. We're opening it up to the people. What bothers me is that my friend who took me, she is extremely uh, gullible. Yes. Yeah, is that the word we're she, looking for? There? She, yeah. you know, gave fifty thousand dollars to a psychic one time, and you know, God bless her, right? But you know, and and you also don't want to pop someone's spirituality bubble because who knows, you know. Maybe it's what she needs to get through the night. Yeah. Hey, listen, what um, if, if we are going to send our listeners to one internet location to find your good stuff and to buy things from you, and red strings, little vials of water, what would it be? Um, I think probably just going to my Twitter, which is uh, twitter.com slash Mandy Stat, and it's S-T-A-D-T. Mandy, thank you so much thank for joining us. So the thank you so much. Thank you. awesome. have a guest Jew of the Week, and it's not just any Jew. It's a guy who is now representing Judaism really um, for... It's the the Jew. It's the Jew. (laughs) That's right. Our guest Jew this week is Adam Cantor. Adam is the actor, not an actor, but the actor, currently appearing on Broadway as the tailor Muttel Kamzoil in the new production of Fiddler on the Roof, a show some of you will have heard of. Um... He hails from Long Island, where he was shepherded through high school by his classmate, Stephanie Butnick, in Great Neck. Actually, I was younger. So you were younger, that's right. Um, he's also been in Rent and Avenue Q. Uh, please welcome Adam Cantor. Hello. Hello, Adam. How are you? Great. How are you? Great. So what was Stephanie like? I mean, let's just get right to it. Do you remember from high school? First of all, is it true? Let's get to the highlights of your career. What yeah. was Stephanie like, like in high school? Did she make this so. shit up knowing that you wouldn't? admit to not remembering her or did she actually go to high school with you we totally went to high school together steph you were pretty cool in high school i peaked in eighth grade you were though it has been all downhill junior from there. high you yeah. peaked in junior yeah. high yeah. yeah it's sort of interesting that you were and are that cool and you're also smart it's rare Thank that you. combination though, is rare did you get a five on the cal no, AP? I didn't even take cal. you were seven <laughs> or whatever there you have it nope i got a three and i was 18 so what I mean, what was the scene like? Were you guys like in overlapping social circles, or just she was younger, so it didn't come into play? This is really all I care about talking to Adam. Well, you you didn't really do so much of the theater. I was in the chorus in Annie when you were uh, Daddy Warbucks, right. and I did in Hoover the Hooverville song. I like threw a pot over my head, and that's like my so, understanding of I think the Great if Depression. If you had to cast Stephanie in Fiddler, she would be Sprinza. Uh, <laughs> it's actually funny because I remember you were in Fiddler in, in middle school. Yeah, it was the first show I ever did. And now Sixth you're grade, in Fiddler. Were you Mutl? I was Mendel, the rabbi's son. And then you were Tevye, right? Tevye in eighth grade in the community theater. <laughs> they just recycled I love that there, are, that there are 13-year-old boys out there playing Tevye. That's, that's just great. Yeah, I have an yeah, incredibly yeah. obsequious question. I want you to be honest about this. This is going to be uncomfortable for you. He's going to ask you about money now, but No, go. I'm not going to ask you about money. When you, when you have, like, 
Broadway caliber chops, right? When like you've got the kind of voice where someday like you're you're actually going to be in Rent and Avenue Q and and Fiddler, and you're there, you know, doing the sophomore production at Great Neck <laughs> Senior High School, Great Neck North, Great Neck North. Sorry, <laughs> are you yeah. like Jesus? What am it's I like doing? You've never with been these to tigers? Long Island. I mean, is it? Are you just like tower? I mean, not towering per se, but are you? <laughs> Do you think like a bunch of amateurs? Yeah. Please? I mean, for, for whatever it's worth, on Yom Kippur, I, I was in the middle of Fiddler rehearsals on Broadway this past Yom Kippur, and we had just started, I think, and I, like, whipped out my old VHS tapes and put them in just to see, you know, what it looked like and what, and I was horrified. I thought I was pretty terrible. <laughs> so I guess anyone has a shot? I don't know. Wait, I mean, are you saying that Fiddler held rehearsals on Yom Kippur? No, no, we didn't. That's why I was home on Oh, on okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was home in grade now. Watching Mark's TV. Mark's entire fate would have shattered. Right? I, yeah, say, I want to correct that, though, because I remember you were, oh, it was always very clear that if so, like, that you would be very successful in theater. Like, it always, you were sort of head and shoulders above everyone else. So other than watching VHS tapes of yourself in sixth grade, <laughs> how, did, how, how do you prepare for, for this thing? That's, you, pr- no, that's pretty much it. That's it. That's, <laughs> that's good. Yeah, no, that's pretty much it. Well, I mean, I did do a, a massive research journey. You I did went, a roots journey. Yeah, I went, I went with this group called Yiddishkeit, um, led by Robert Adler Pekarar, and it goes through, well, we went through, um, we went, started in Minsk and went through some former Stetlach in Belarus and uh, Lithuania, Latvia. And then Robert took me to Kiev and the surrounding villages where Sholem Aleichem lived and wrote the Tevye stories. So I actually went to the street where Tevye, the dairyman, sold milk. And I went to Sholem Aleichem's house where Sholem would uh, ostensibly have these conversations with his dairyman Tevye and Tevye would would be complaining about his daughters and what's going on, and all this stuff inspired the Tevye stories and, of course, inspired Fiddler on the Roof. So I kind of found the the root of it all, which was really cool and interesting. But how do you, I mean, other than that, Fiddler is, you know, it's like looking at the Mona Lisa. You know, when you come to this encounter, you have already have such a, you know, hardened set of expectations how do you how do you make this into like a palpable living piece of like interesting drama for you and for the audience it's a a good question i mean a huge part of that was our director bart chair who's who's pretty brilliant and who really wanted to make this piece relevant today and sort of wanted to make people look at it in a new way and and he starts right at the beginning with this (laughs) <laughs> what's become ridiculously infamous framing device, which starts the show and ends the show. And I don't think I'm giving anything away by describing it because uh, <laughs> because a million pieces have been written about it. And it was in the Times even before we opened. Uh, the man who plays Tevye walks onto the stage in modern dress in this red parka. It's like an L.L. Bean parka. Basically. <laughs> yeah. It's Land's End. It's something very yeah. uh, you yeah. know, New yeah. England bougie. Exactly. Yeah. And... Uh, throughout tradition sort of becomes Tevian, enters into this former world, and then at the end of the play, he's back as this modern guy. So even though the framing device, I think, in total lasts like 25 seconds or something like that, the idea uh, fills through the entire production in terms of, you know, we're really echoing, I think, the refugee crisis today, and we're looking at these characters in new ways, and we're sort of figuring out what, what does it mean to us today, so... The, the night that I was there, the audience was filled with guys that my Judar p- 
picked up as modern orthodox. It was like it was like every Ramaz alumnus in the, the tri-state area. Was By there Judar, you mean spotting the little thing on their but, heads well, that they wear? It's like an X-ray vision. As you God. know, you have to you you have to figure out suss out which kind of yarmulke is it because a a Haredi yarmulke is not you know I mean you know this right I know this you know this so I was I was doing very high level. <laughs> Deep, deep Judar work. I mean, this wasn't, it's not for fucking amateurs, man. No, you can't just say, look at the, Guys, the beanie on his head. I think they were MO. I think they were Upper West Side MO. And do you feel that, um, I mean, it's, it obviously strikes a chord, as when I saw Ain't Misbehaving, there were a lot of black people in the audience. I mean, do you feel that this is a show? Are you, are you entering into a community in a way that you don't with, say, Avenue <laughs> <laughs> in a way that you aren't entering into the Muppet community with Avenue Q? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I I've definitely sense that I am your grandma's best friend now. Like, yeah, yeah I mean... You did tweet, tweet a picture of you and your grandma and Dr. Ruth, like, from a show that... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Dr. Ruth and I are, like, having a love affair, pretty much. Ooh. No, I, mean, <laughs> I, bet, I bet she knows what she's doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You could do worse. Yeah, yeah true. No, I mean definitely. Stage dooring at Rent is is a different experience than <laughs> stage dooring at Fiddler on the Roof. It's true. It's like every grandma is trying to set me up with their grandchild. It's, yeah, I, I'm definitely like in 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 very good spirits with the Jews right now, for but sure. But speaking of grandmothers, you live with your grandmother. I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very actually, my commute here was very easy. We're on First uh, and Fifty Eighth, and uh, as an actor. The past few years, my life has been pretty nomadic. I've lived all over the country, and uh, I was in Paris for a while. And like, it's just been great having this pad on 58th Street to come back to. If we need a place to stay on the east side, you're can welcome. We stay with your girl? You're okay. all welcome. What's like the roommate relationship like, though? Like, does oh, she... it's great. I mean, no, it's totally uh, passing ships. She's 92 and incredibly uh, active and going. She's got friends and goes to museums and theater and stuff. And when I see her, we'll go days without seeing each other. Um, it's sort of wonderful, I have to say. It's kind of great. Can we have an aww? <laughs> yeah. Muttle, Kamsoil, Adam Cantor, Great Yay. Neck, North High School. It was a miracle. It was a miracle. Wonder of wonders, miracle of miracles, God took a Daniel once again, stood by his side and miracle of miracles, walked him through the lion's den. Wonder of wonders, miracle of miracles, I was afraid that God would frown, but like he did so long ago in Jericho, God just made a wall fall down. When before we take our leave of you, we want to let you know about a couple opportunities to see unorthodox podcasters live and get some hugs and we'll sing for you. We'll write songs. We, we, we do bar mitzvahs also. Uh, April 7th, we'll be at the Oshman Family JCC in Palo Alto, California. So please make, you know, make it a date night. Bring, bring, the whole bring all your Silicon Valley besties to see us. March 6th, I, Mark Oppenheimer, will be going solo at Temple Emanuel in Andover, Massachusetts, where I will be delivering the Shack Scholar Lecture. And uh, I, just booked a, I just booked Williamstown, Mass. April 19th, I'm going to be at Williams College. Um, we love mail. If you have thoughts, comments, praise, or questions for our panel of experts, please write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Be warned, we might read them on the air.
Unorthodox is hosted by Leah Leibowitz, Stephanie Butnick, and me, Mark Oppenheim. It's edited by Julie Subrin and produced by Sarah Ivory and Alyssa Goldstein. Rabbinic supervision this week was by my friend Joe Gordon, who just retired from his job. Kosher slaughtering was by Chris Rock, who butchered a lot of things. Our website is tabletmag.com. Our music is by Golem. And to get our newsletter, shoot us an email. Shalom, friends. Yeah.